Blog Talk Radio. And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk and beyond, and certainly beyond today as we celebrate Willie Mays' 89th birthday. And thank you for joining us on the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. We're going all the way to 155th Street and 8th Avenue to talk a little Giants today. And not literally, more figuratively, of course. We're, we're, we actually have a couple of gentlemen coming to us from Long Island. And uh, first, I'm going to introduce the head of the New York Giants Preservation Society, the one keeping the New York Giants' memory in many ways alive, and that's Gary Mintz. Gary, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Uh, how are you holding up through, through all this quarantine? Uh, I thought, by the way, thanks for inviting me, Sam. We are, uh, you know, locked up in the house. People don't know I'm a school teacher, so I am remotely a teaching, and uh, it's a little difficult. You know, I feel like I'm chained to the computer basically from 5 in the morning till uh, 6 or 7 at night. Uh, but the, there is no commute now, which is, which is one benefit. But uh, everybody here is healthy. hope everybody out there is healthy, and uh, that's the main concern right now. That it is, and uh, to all of you out there, I hope you were staying safe and healthy as well. Thank you, Gary, for that. And uh, without further ado, I will welcome Mr., uh, as I like to call, uh, the Mets fan incarnate, and that is Mr. Greg Prince of Faith and Fear and Flushing. Uh, Greg, how is every, everything doing with you with all of this? Uh, I'm fine. Uh, you know, hunk- hunker down here as well. Um up very early this morning watching Korean baseball, which uh, is a, both a new experience and, and felt like it uh, couldn't be any more natural. So uh, just, just a little taste of uh, our national pastime brought to us internationally. But, uh, you know, in, in terms of the things that are, believe it or not, slightly more important than baseball, uh, everybody here is okay and uh, just... Uh, doing our part, which is basically staying inside and wearing a mask when we uh, step outside. Exactly. And if there's baseball being played somewhere in the world, then there is hope for us yet. Uh, Hope springs eternal, even if we are all the way into May now. Um, And, Greg, I'm going to have you start uh, um, because, you know, Today is Willie Mays' birthday, and the connection of of the generations and, and the way Willie Mays represents so much that is good about the history of New York National League Baseball, you very much brought up yesterday in a, in a piece on Faith and Fear to Flushing. So I wanted to start with you uh, talking about the impact that Willie Mays had for you as a young child. Well, uh, you know, what I was a move to write about yesterday on the on the eve of, of Willie's birthday. So I was trying to remember at, at exactly what point I got it in my head as a little kid how special Willie Mays was. I mean, I, I wasn't brought up on Giants games. I just knew his name from a list I had seen of the top home run hitters. Uh, I had heard his name mentioned during broadcasts. It just inevitably came up, and you know I'd read stories about you know who the best baseball players were, and you know Willie Mays' name was always there. Even though this was this is around 1970, 
So when you go back and look, technically has peaked. I mean, his last really great year, I think, was 1966, and I, I missed all of that. But he was revered almost in a way that ball players today who were kind of in their emeritus phase of greatness don't really get that treatment. But Willie got that treatment, and I kind of pin it to at least my starting point, the 1970 All-Star game, the first All-Star game I ever watched, and there were literally 20 Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers, obviously, introduced to play that night, not counting Earl Weaver and not counting Leo DeRocher and Bowie Kuhn and whoever else was there in, in one capacity or another as a manager, coach, commissioner. So a lot of future Hall of Famers, not to mention Gil Hodges, who should should have been a future Hall of Famer and hopefully still will be, not counting Pete Rose in Riverfront Stadium of all places. But, you know, Willie Mays was leading off for the National League that night, starting in center field, and it just seems perfect in retrospect that the ball player who represented what it meant to be the best uh, when I was seven years old uh, was, was front and center. And, you know, when – just to fast forward slightly, when when the time comes two years later, the, the Mets trade for Willie Mays and sort of on the fly, I'm delineating what it all means, not just that we got a really great player, that we have this guy who played in New York long before I was alive, long before the Mets were alive, and why it meant so much to so many people. It was just sort of a, a big bang of emotions uh, both for me as a, as a budding Mets by then nine years old, and I think for the franchise itself, it was like it was the last great moment in the, in the development of the Mets. I think because at that that period, sixty-two to seventy-three, is when the Mets became the Mets forevermore. I mean, they they go through some ups and downs, but basically everything we understand about the Mets and their relationship to their to New York National League Baseball, as you put it, uh, kind of cemented then, you know, he was the last connection to why there were Mets to the Giants and Dodgers and that, that last great era of that rivalry and when, when we had the two National League teams. So to have Willie Mays and all his credentials as not only the best player in baseball for so long, but as the guy who meant so much to so many people from his time in New York, which at that point seemed ancient to me as, as a kid, but hasn't happened all that long ago. I mean, you, you, you take the, the, um, the measurement of time from 1957 to 1972, and we're talking, we transported to today, and we're talking, well, if somebody had been a huge part of New York and baseball, say, between, you know, 1999 and 2005, and he was still around, and he came home today. Uh, that's basically what we're talking about, and depending on how you look at things, either it was a very long time ago, or, gosh, that was over in a blink, and suddenly it's 2020. So, um, you know, I mean, this is all before Willie Mays actually plays for the Mets. This is just the idea of Willie Mays as a New York Met, which I imagine probably saddened at least one of us on this phone call that he was uh, no longer a giant. But I guess, you know, there, there's no chance that, uh, you know, in, in hearts everywhere, uh, whichever coach we're talking about, that Willie Mays 
is always a giant, but he's also a Met, and that makes me very happy. Yeah, exactly. And we we do want to get Gary's perspective of that era when he did see Willie Mays become a Met uh, just in his backyard, but as a Giants fan. But uh, before we go to you, Gary, we actually do have a phone call, and uh, it's from a 917 area code, and uh, I want to go to that person and and say welcome to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. Who is joining us today? (laughs) Hi. Hi, Gary. This is Perry. Hey, Perry. How are you, dear? I, Perry. I'm a, <laughs> how is everybody? I, I mean, I've heard how you all. I'm so happy. Perry, Perry Barber in the audio audible flash. I just want to introduce you. And, and uh, like we like to say on both this podcast and, and another one, uh, give us your shameless plug to everybody out there listening. Uh, who is Perry Barber? <laughs> My shameless plug. Oh, I'm just your average, you know, gal that did everything in her adult life to avoid getting a real job. So instead, I I was a singer-songwriter who, who opened shows for Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel, and I was a Jeopardy champion and a debutante, and um, then I became an umpire. So I've been umpiring for 40 years, and that's not a very lucrative profession, but emotionally it's been very, very rewarding. And I count myself very fortunate that I am friends with Gary and um, a member of his august group of Giants fans because it was Thank through Gary's for. auspices and his his relationship that he formed with people in the front office of the San Francisco Giants that, what was it, three or four years ago, Gary, that Willie Mays came to New York with the trophy and we got a special session with him all by yeah. himself, and it, it was one of the most amazing mornings of my entire life, sitting in a room with Willie Mays just being so completely charming and vibrant and willing to engage with us, and it was just one of the best days of my life, Gary. Thank you so much. You're always welcome. You know that. So, well, thank you for... for I, I, uh, yeah, thank you for calling in today, Perry. And I, I wanted I, to I, ask you to I, I, to go to go a little deeper about uh, uh, Willie Mays. Uh, yeah, one thing that I particularly have always loved about Willie Mays is his—I I don't know how to describe it any other way—his joy at being out there. And there's something that I've read, and I refer to it as the Mays play where he would be on second base and on a routine ground ball to an infielder where they would throw to first base to get the batter runner, look the the runner back, then throw to first base. Willie would take off, and he'd score on those plays. And there was one play, I think it was back in 1965, where he uh, he scored from first on just another routine single. And uh, the man just brought so much energy, so much good energy to the ball field. And it translated to just such spectacular adoration from the fans. And even when he played on the road, I think the fans cheered for him when he did something great, which was all the time. And I just love him, and from the moment I fell in love with baseball, he was one of the people, the players that I've idolized, and just so happy that he's still with us and able to enjoy 
the adulation that he so richly deserves. And thank you for celebrating his birthday today, everybody. Really appreciate it. And hi, Greg. So nice to hear from hey, you, too. <laughs> so we'll all get together well, again someday. <laughs> yes, we will. Perry, you're welcome to to join us for the the remainder of the uh, the podcast, if you uh, so like. Sure, I'm going to hold on. No problem. Excellent. Enjoy well, well I will go to... Uh, thank you. Well, I, I will go to uh, I will go to Gary now about uh, Willie Mays. And, and what's interesting, what Perry was just talking about, in terms of that universal adulation uh, uh, towards him, you know, it, 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 it there really isn't that love. And and you could almost say that there it was maybe there back in the '90s. There's some other players that you can certainly talk about just anywhere they went. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., I'm thinking, was really the last one that I can think of where he just had fans everywhere. There wasn't as much booing as as Bryce Harper would get now. Uh, uh, you know, there was right. just this, this more Ichiro, universal feeling. Right. Ichiro was another one in that um, category. Mm-hmm. Wherever he, yeah, people loved him wherever he went. You didn't have to be a Mariners fan to love Ichiro. And 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 so you know Willie really is a, a, one of one of those players, those last players that uh, got love yeah. everywhere he went. He did, and oh, we loved having him back in New York so briefly at the end of his career. That was magic. Exactly, uh, Gary. If you can expand on it a little bit. Sure. Well. Uh... I became a Giant fan in 1969 because of my dad, and he would always talk about the New York Giants, and he, I know for sure, became a San Francisco fan because of Willie Mays. And he would talk about the names of the players, but he never called him Mays. It was always Willie, and you knew who he was talking about. Um, So I, my background, hearing my father saying how great he was, um, and this and that, and I have uh, I was at that Met game, and I will ex- uh, expand on it. His first game as a Met, but my first recollection uh, recollection of him it was similar to Greg's. It was right before the All Star game. They used to have a game of the week on Channel Four, and I was watching it because the Giants were never on TV. And very famous catch in Candlestick Park uh, with Bobby Tolan hit one and. Bobby Bonds went back to the fence, and Mays leaped over the fence, uh, fell on top of Bonds. Bonds picked up the ball, one of the greatest catchers. And, you know, as a nine-year-old, I used to go up to Monticello. There was a pool and a cyclone fence, and I would always imitate that unbelievable catch that he put his glove over the (laughs) fence to reel it in. That was always a great memory uh, for me. Um, And then that uh, when he was traded to the Mets, we had tickets for that game. And it was a very iffy day. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, it was raining. They were talking about calling off the game. And uh, the game was, in fact, played. And I, I remember, I think, Sam McDowell for the Giants. He walked, Mays led off for the Mets that day. McDowell walked the first three guys. Rusty Staub hit a grand slam, and then Mays. Giants wound up tying up the game, and then Mays won it with a home run, uh, I think in the fifth or sixth inning. That I don't remember exactly. But, you know, back then the Giants used to come into town. They used to play the Mets like 18 games, so they'd come in uh, 
you know, uh, three three times a year, nine at Shea Stadium. And most of the fans, uh, can't, you know, like they said, he, the guy was never booed. He was always uh, either standing ovation or people people who remembered would just get up and clap. Never, ever a bad word ever said about him um, from the fans, of course. You know, like McCovey would come up, they'd, they would boo out of admiration, but Mays never got that kind of a treatment. McCovey, they were scared of. Mays was just beloved. Um, and then, you know, going forward in my life, uh, you know, we set up this organization, and uh, we were privy enough three times to spend uh, these uh, trophy tours with him after the 10, 12, and 14 seasons. He would show up uh, in New York. And like Perry said, he had all his faculties, was remembering things. He he was just great. And one of the best moments we ever had was uh, in, uh, let's see, it must have been 2011. Yeah, uh, they had a polo grounds uh, day at uh, AT&T Park. And uh, we were on the field, some of the members, and uh, the late, great Peter McGowan, made this whole speech about how it's important to remember the past. And so, make a long story short, uh, the ceremony ended like seven or eight minutes. And Peter McGowan said, you know, follow him. And the other giant officials were saying, no, you've got to get off the field this way. So I was at a crossroads. Do I follow the officials or do I follow McGowan? I was like, you know, McGowan used to be the the big macha on the uh, – Giants. I'm going to follow him. And he brought us to the dugout, and he brought us to Mike Murphy's, uh, uh, you know, his office. And lo and behold, Willie Mays is there. And uh, he signed balls for us. And throughout my mind was, you know, why am I doing this? You know, this is my dad's guy, and I wish he was there, you know, to 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 meet his idol. So Aww. that's my connection with Willie Mays, and just. Again, like Perry said, just the love of the game. He always was smiling, mm-hmm. made it look always easy. Uh, but never, you know, people said the basket catch hot dogging. I never considered that at all. That was just him. He was just the greatest. It's it's remarkable being up there now. You know, I I was standing crazy enough just because of my job right now, uh, Greg. I was I was up in uh, the where what are apartment buildings now where the polo grounds is and it wasn't until yesterday that i actually understood the wherewithal the 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 uh the way it was angled and i I didn't realize that the polo grounds basically if you were standing at home plate looking towards the outfield you were if if there wasn't a wall there you were looking at at the river and and what would be yankee stadium on the other side um and, and it's there's Willie Mays Drive up there, and, and just being upstairs in Coogan's Bluff, it, it's just thinking about the fact that he used to roam around there. Willie Mays, not just the outfield, but also uh, he, he used to be in the streets playing stickball with the kids back in the day. Uh, it, there was just there, there's some there's some New York connection to the way Willie Mays played. New York always appreciated the 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 enthusiasm that we're talking about here. The whole, the whole neighborhood was Willie Mays' ballpark, basically, when you, you know, you know, go up to St. Nicholas Place, as well as, you know, wh- wh- where once stood the polo grounds. 
And, uh, yeah, it, it is breathtaking to imagine when you are up there and you, I won't say you close your eyes, but you kind of, you kind of look around and you say, you know, this was, <laughs> this was Willie Mays' playground right here. Uh, you know, and, and, and the playground to a lot of great giants, but, uh, I, I think we who, you know, experienced maybe only the last few years of his career and but but are fortunate enough today to experience you know the the aftermath and are still celebrating him uh you know can be fortunate can count ourselves fortunate that he came along when he did at what turned out to be the end of the giants reign in new york uh and listen you know others could have could have talked about you know what it meant to have Mel Ott on the Giants, or talked about what it what it meant to have Carl Hubble or Bill Terry or Christy Mathewson, but sadly, I, I suppose with the exception of, of of a handful of relative handful of people with memories of Ott, you know the, the great Giants were before the time of anybody who's still around. Mays, you know, <laughs> left left a lot of us with something either to remember firsthand from his time in New York, you know, with the Giants, that is, or, you know, from understanding what it meant to have him back in 72 and 73. And and it is, again, breathtaking to, to be up in that neighborhood and realize it, it was all going on here. And when you see a street with his name on it, to realize that as as much as an icon and a legend as he is and spoken of in these revered historical terms, there was a time you could pay, you know, I don't, I don't know how much a uh, a bleacher seat at the polo grounds was, or if you were so lucky, a box seat, but you could pay a relative pittance and go watch Willie Mays be Willie Mays. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when the world was, you know, discovering or having it imprinted on their minds forever what it was like to watch this guy make those basket catches and have the hat fly off and to, you know, constantly deke other outfielders uh, into letting him get the extra base and letting a teammate score. Uh, and it all happened here in New York, like you said. So it's uh, it's an amazing thing. And it was an amazing thing to realize. I mean, that, that was kind of the, 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 the flip side of, of getting Willie Mays on the Mets for me as a, as a nine-year-old. Was, was understanding there was all history behind it, that it wasn't just a matter of going out and getting one of these future Hall of Famers and isn't that nice. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the Mets have now and then, you know, they had Ricky Henderson for a year plus. They had Warren Spahn for half a season. They had Roberto Alomar for a year plus. But it didn't mean the same thing. And, you know, it's a, one of the things I, I wrote in that column yesterday was, you know, for, for as excited as, as a Mets fan could have been to have woken up one day and learned – regardless of how these trades worked out, oh, my God, we got George Foster. Oh, my God, we got Keith Hernandez or Gary Carter, Mike Piazza or Johan Santana. To this day, I don't think there will ever be anything quite as blowing my mind as, oh, my God, the Mets got Willie Mays. Hey, Greg, this is Perry. I just want to thank you for mentioning Christy Mathewson because if you hadn't, I would have had to. So thank you. And I just I would like to point out that Gary has taken groups of his school uh, kids up to the Polo Grounds um, footprint where there is now a memorial. And he's also 
um, been instrumental in getting the uh, the brush stairway um, mm-hmm. re- redone so that people can now walk down it safely, which was the staircase that led down into the bowl that was where the polo grounds was situated. So thank That's you for doing kind, that. Very, I really had nothing to do with it other than publicize it, but, uh, oh, you know, you all the team. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. You had well, a lot you. to do with you know, uh, No, you had, no, uh, it was, uh, it was you and a, and a bunch of other people. And it's a really important thing that you did. So thank you. I'm very proud to have contributed because of, because you asked me to. And thank so you. thank you. And also the pizza party that we had with, uh, Mark, um, uh, what was his name up there? Yeah, Uh, it was a lot of fun. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Always fun. Always uh, fun with the Giants fans. Well, I was I was going to go that direction about over there. You know, it's both both uh, the neighborhood that Ebbets Field is in and the neighborhood that Polo Grounds was in. There, there's very inconspicuous. remembrances uh you know there there's a great plaque out there but the apartments are obviously very uh um towering but but in in a very uh un it, you know un, in a very inconspicuous way the, the architecture is not conspicuous if you will <laughs> of those right. apartment buildings and and it's whether it's Willie Mays Drive uh or just that one plaque and the fact that they are called Polo Grounds Towers and there's kind of a cartoonish uh, imprint of it on the, the sign out there, you know, they're, they're very unsuspecting. And, of course, like we're talking about the, the stairs now, uh, the entire area, you, you know, it, it, it's, it's crazy. And, and I think it culminated with the destruction of Penn Station uh, that the 50s and 60s, there was such a disregard for the past, and there was such a disregard for the beauty that was presented by the past. Whoever wants to take this uh, uh, can can take it, but you know, I, I, we're we're lucky to have at least you know a, a street named after Willie Mays to direct us towards his memory over there. But it's remarkable still to me how how the stuff was just disregarded and completely bulldozed, like it never even existed. Well, you know, yeah. there, are a couple, there, there are a couple of things there, um, if you look. There's a couple of signs on the buildings besides that this was home plate. There's a sign that says this is where Willie Mays roamed. It, it's all sun bleached out. It's hard to see. And if you go into the uh, Polo Grounds, the office, there are there are pictures there. One time I was told I wasn't allowed in there. The other time they let me take pictures. Uh, there, there's a picture there of... Uh, Mayor Lindsay, I believe, with Mays when that plaque that says this is where home plate was, um, there's a picture of that when it actually happened when that was, you know, put up. So there are things there. Um, well, that's good. A cu- couple of years ago, a uh, guy was uh, petitioned, I guess, to make a mural out on the polo grounds, and, and Mays is predominant in it. So, I mean, they had a cleanup day there once. Uh, mm-hmm. They they do try, you know. It's it's it's, it's unfortunate, um, you know, that some people just don't care. Well, and, I do think we'll... that uh, I do think that the the uh, um, the stairs and, and you could probably say because of the plaque and the fact that 
you know, the, I, I mean, it, it is called Ebbets Field Apartments, but it's only, it's so much smaller. Obviously, Polo Grounds is a bigger field, and the plot of land is bigger, so there's more apartment buildings there, too. So you could maybe say, and, you know, obviously, you had the Jackie Robinson School, but obviously, everybody started talking at once, so I'll direct it to, to Perry next with, uh, in regards to what I brought up before. Perry, I'm sorry, did you ask? Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I know that everybody everybody was talking at, at once, so I wanted to direct it to, to what I was talking about, uh, kind of about the disregard of the era for for the beauty of, of architecture and just the, the past in general. Well, I'm a child of the 50s and 60s, so there's a lot about the architecture and the history of that era that – obviously is very important to me, but, you know, if people aren't going to feel as deeply and passionately about it as I do or as Gary does or as any of you do, we can't force them to. All we can do is express our passion for it and hope that that will somehow transmit to them and that they will sense, you know, the, the happiness that we derive from the history and the actual place and the fact that we can still go to certain places and touch sacred ground and imagine in our minds Christy Matchison standing on the mound, you know, pitching to Honus Wagner. And um, it's just really special being a part of that and being close enough geographically because I've been living in New York almost my entire life and um, Gary lives in Long Island now, which is New York. And all of you are, you know, native New Yorkers or longtime New Yorkers. And I just think it's really special that we can we can still go there and physically experience what people physically experienced 60 years ago when Lily was, you know, patrolling the outfield and catching fly balls off of Vic Wirtz's bat. And hey, Gary, I looked up that game, that first game that he played for the Mets, and yeah. the starting pitcher was Ray Sadecki for the Ray Mets. Ray Sadecki against Sam McDowell. <laughs> yeah. correct. And and Willie not only homered in that game, uh, Rusty hit a grand slam. Willie homered a solo shot, but he also walked twice. Yeah, he walked. So McDowell he, walked, but I think the first three batters on maybe you know twelve pitches. Uh-huh. He was just yeah. very wild. <laughs> And the Giants had yeah. an outfielder that year who Yankee fans would love his name. He, his name was Bernie Williams. He had a cup of coffee with the Giants. But I actually remember. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it, like I said, we were going to the game and we weren't. It was, if you can get, you know, a report on the game, you'll see. It was, if they really thought about having it rained out. Um, but mm. we did go and um, it was turned out to be a wonderful thing that he, I don't think any Giant fan was upset that the Giants lost that day by that, but because of Willie Mays. <laughs> well, on Baseball Reference, it says the field condition is unknown, so it probably meant it was a little bleak. It was soggy. And yeah, and, and, and just from, just from the uh, the memory of the. Was. <laughs> and just and just from the memory of the the. the clip that I've seen of him hitting the home run, it did seem a little overcast. So it, it, it's always interesting finding these details because it, it just gives it such a much more nuance uh, to the entire picture. 
And uh, I wanted to go, you know, uh, to burn some time, I wanted to go to the Christy Matthewson era, but Greg, first, uh, before we go there, um, I was wondering if you wanted to touch on what I was talking about, about the, uh, the disregard of the beauty of architecture back then. Well, a couple, a couple of things. One, in, in that game in 72, one of the uh, prominent clips or, or you know, shocks within the clip is somebody with a translucent umbrella that was popular maybe for six months in the early seventies <laughs> and, you know, they're shaking it up and down in, in the salute to the moment. So, you know, it was raining, but you know, I just wanted to say about you know, why we are, are lucky enough to have those markers there to have more than them was just, you know, put there in the sixties and then kind of forgotten about for what, what seemed like more than 30 years. It is the work of people like Gary uh, maybe maybe not directly, uh, you know, go, going to uh, various mayors and demanding it, but just the, that that sense that this was a team and a place that did not deserve to be forgotten, and more importantly, deserved to be remembered. And you know, I think if we were having a conversation like this 20 years ago, we would have been very lonely because you just <laughs> didn't hear much about the New York Giants. And, you know, in the last 20 years, people like Gary and some other people who who really put their heart and soul into it have, you know, gotten kindred spirits together and, and made it feel like more than some stray memory or some stray historical fact that, that some of us were curious about. And, and I, I can't tell you how oh, much I appreciate wow. not, not only the, the work that, that Gary does, but people like Perry showing up to these gatherings and kind of giving this, uh, what, what is the phrase, um, critical mass of, you know, of, of caring and not feeling like this existed, but nobody remembers it. That I, I think for, for a long time, it was sort of a, you know, almost a cliche to say, well, everybody remembers the Dodgers, but nobody remembers the Giants because the Dodgers, and rightly so, got a lot of attention for the impact they had and the memories they left behind. But, you know, you had this whole other franchise that had an incredible amount of success and impact maybe a little earlier in the century than the Dodgers did. And, you know, the, either those people, you know, have hung around well into the 21st century or the people who succeeded them, like, like Gary, uh, you know, got it from his father, have, have kept the torch aloft. And, I, again, as, as somebody who only read about it, and and only heard about it from uh, you know Bob Murphy, Lindsey Nelson, or Ralph Kiner every time the Mets would play the Giants. You know I, I appreciate so much that it's it's managed to stay alive, and if anything, gain a second and third life uh, here in in the third decade of the 21st century. So I just wanted, wanted to throw that out there. So thank you for that. Yeah, and you know and, what has always struck me as remarkable is that Giants fans still love the San Francisco Giants. The Dodgers fans who love the Brooklyn Dodgers that are still around, they hate they hate the Los Angeles Dodgers. They all became Mets fans or Yankees fans. But the Giants fans that appreciated the the original New York, New York Giants, we still love the San Francisco Giants just as much as we revere the old New York Giants. And I've always found that very interesting the difference between Dodgers and Giants fans. It's, it's well, a lot of fun. And, and, and it's interesting, you know, what Greg's talking about, uh, nobody remembers the Giants, everybody remembers the Dodgers, uh, the cliche goes. 
Um, I think in some some ways that's also because of Brooklyn, and in, in many ways it's because of Brooklyn that they felt so slighted, uh, which which you know the, the the LA Dodgers were Walter O'Malley's team, uh, and there, there was just a, a different type of dynamic going on with the the Giants franchise when they left, and and like we always you know keep mentioning. Uh, the Willie Mays uh, element of it, just, you know, the, the, the Dodgers, they had Walter O'Malley tear the fans' hearts out. And you had all those, you had all those, those uh, players, many on, on at the tail end of their careers, too. Uh, Jackie Robinson was, had gotten traded to the Giants, uh, but refused to go and retired. Um, so they didn't even have Jackie Robinson going out to Los Angeles. Um, it, 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 it is, you know, something, part of it that, that I'm trying to explore is the differences between, I mean, because obviously in Brooklyn you did have Giants fans, you had Yankees fans. Um, and, and I'll segue uh, with this in ter- terms of the Christy Matthewson era. I was, I, I was thinking about how lost in history and with the fact that uh, at the tail end, the Dodgers, and the, uh, the Dodgers and the Yankees, excuse me, were playing so often in World Series. Uh, but but and I'll go to you, Gary, with this uh, being our our historian on the the matter. Um, it 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 was very interesting how lost in history the Yankees and Giants rivalry is, uh, and a lot of it has to do with the inferiority complex, the superiority complex, the tug of war, uh, be, being the landlords and tenants uh, at the polo grounds, and then getting their own place and then dominating baseball. Um, it, it, you know, that, that is completely and utterly in many ways lost to history, the rivalry that was the Giants and the Yankees. And, and a lot of that had to do with the American and National League rivalry. Absolutely. And Perry is, you know, a master of knowledge during that era. But, you know, John McGraw, you know, wanted the Yankees out of the polo grounds, and that turned out to be Yankee Stadium. Uh, that's where the Yankees set up shop after that. We know who made out better with that. And also the, the Yankee-Giant rivalry. I mean, I, you know, we always talk about 1951 and the Giants win the pennant. And, you know, not many people ever talk about it. You know, they lost the World Series, and you, you know who they lost it to. So um, it, was a, it was having three teams. I wish I was around for that. You know, I, I was not born, of course. But it must have been an amazing time in New York to have all of that going on. Pretty amazing. Yeah. I was there, but I, I wasn't a baseball fan, so I, I never went to the Polo Grounds or Ebbets Field, even though they were still operating when I, I, I was four years old in 1957 when I left. So I could have. <laughs> I had my chance, but I blew it. <laughs> yeah, the only time I, ever saw the, I never saw the Polo Grounds, but... Uh, you know, whenever we were on the Major Deegan, my father would have to point out there's in Coombs Dam Bridge, <laughs> and that's where the P. He always called them. He didn't call it the Polo Grounds. Called them the PGs. There's where the PGs. The PGs. Were. <laughs> yeah, and then I, you know, after he, I had never even gone to where they were, and then he, he passed away in 2003, and so I made a pilgrimage there, and I've been there. You know, for many events that we've had there, and um, you know, when they rededicated the stairs, and, and like Perry said, I brought my students there. 
I, I wrote a baseball trial about the 51 Giants, and I wanted my students to know that there was actually a, a baseball stadium there, and I made them find where the plaque was. Uh, so I don't know if it'll ever stick in their minds, but I know that if I'm teaching them something, I wanted them to know it was something that truly did happen and there was a place. And there used to be a ballpark, as Frank Sinatra saying. Well, oh, you Gary, know, your trial was brilliant. It was brilliant. Thank you. He, he wrote a script mm. for the, the kids to portray different characters involved in the 1951 controversy over if the Giants, you know, cheated, stole signs or not. And he wrote every line, and, and the kids learned them, and he, they put on this trial that was just fantastic. It was. And Perry, Perry was a judge in that. It was based on the right. uh, Joshua Prager book. Yeah, uh, after all the evidence uh, was presented, we very impartially decided that the Giants should be not completely exonerated, but at least held not legally guilty. So, well, it's, inter- our, it's interesting our, with with the uh, the stealing controversy that's going on now. It obviously has come up. Yes, uh, you know, and and, and, and the idea of taking away the pennant from the Giants. I was like, you, you know, you, you can't do it. You can't be talking about taking World Series away, then you have to go across history. Um, I, I believe I know who we have, but, but I, I may be wrong. So we have a 201 area code on. Uh, welcome to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. Who are we talking to? That's New Jersey. Hi, this Jersey. is Jerry Leibowitz calling in from 201 area Jerry! code. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Jerry. How you guys hey, Jerry. <laughs> How are you? Hi, Hi, Jerry. How are you doing? Uh, so so uh, tell us about yourself. Well, you know, I, I guess I go back a little further than most of you guys. Uh, uh, I started watching uh, games at the Polo Grounds in 1942. Wow. And um, my father used to take me to uh, all kinds of games at the Polo Grounds over the years. Uh, and uh, I guess I started uh, as a Mallott fan. That, that's probably the one mm. guy who uh, I looked up to. Uh, but over the years, um, I've always been a Giant fan, but I got very disgusted when they moved to San Francisco. I I followed the San Francisco Giants for a couple of years uh, on the uh, Les Kiter broadcasts when he used to broadcast from a studio, uh, hitting a gavel on a piece of wood to make it sound like a baseball coming off a bat. (laughs) Um, But, you know, those games were largely played at night. And so that meant that I had to tune in at 10 o'clock. And at 1.30, I was sitting in in my bedroom like an idiot listening to a ball game from 3,000 miles away. Uh, That didn't last too long. Uh, I got tired of it, and uh, ultimately I started to follow the Mets. Uh, but I've always uh, somehow or other kept my giant uh, connections going over the years. Well, we appreciate uh, you calling today. I, you know, I just I want to hear more about the polo grounds from you uh, for, for sure. Uh, um, you're welcome to come back on any time. Um, if you could go down the rabbit hole specifically today uh, about Willie Mays and what Willie Mays means to you. Well, you know, I, I only met Willie Mays 
thanks to Gary Mintz because basically Gary set up uh, those great uh, 2010, 12, 14 uh, appearances in New York when uh, the San Francisco Giants had uh, had such a great team. So really the only time that I ever met Mays was at those uh, particular meetings. And uh, other than a two-minute conversation, I never really got to know him, but uh, certainly uh, I saw him play a lot uh, because that, those those years in New York uh, were sort of very interesting because you had three great center fielders uh, patrolling uh, the three ballparks in New York for a few years, and it sort of hyped up the activity when everybody was debating who's the best out of the three of them. So I, I think growing up at that point of time uh, and, you know, being a high school and then a college kid uh, that uh, during those years, uh, baseball was really unbelievably exciting. And, of course, uh, Mantle uh, was relatively slow in running, uh, and so was Snyder, and Mays was like a, a bullet flying all over the place. So it was sort of a very interesting time uh, seeing the three of them uh, playing uh, all at the same time. And I, I I just never got to know him because uh, obviously uh, I got shipped out into the military okay, service wait, and he on. got shipped out to San Francisco. And so I never actually Thank met you. Mays <laughs> other than the two-minute uh, conversation I had with him at the hotel in New York when, when he came back. Jerry, if yeah, I could just it, interject it, yeah, one, ahead, one quick thing. You know, when we did have these trophy things, one of the greatest moments I ever had was watching, uh, you know, I'm in my 50s, um, but I was watching these 70 and 75-year-old men standing up, some of them crying because they were meeting their idol maybe for the first time. And no matter how old he was, he was in his 80s, uh, the people who were standing up didn't see him as an 80-year-old man. They saw him as a young guy in his 20s, and that's how they remember him. And that made me happier, just as happy as, as taking a picture with those trophies, which I never thought I would do, was watching these <laughs> men and women stand up and basically some of them crying because their idol was there and they, they got a chance to, to say hello. So that's, that's a good point because, uh, you know, I, I remember at the 2010 appearance, uh, he had uh, come into the room after everybody was in and seated. And the second he walked through the door, the entire crowd just got up and stood there and applauded like, like they were at a mm-hmm. ball game and somebody hit a game winning home run. Absolutely. But you, your recollection is great on that. And then he gave everybody his uh, autobiography as well, which was, you know, that is wonderful. correct. No, that was Gary that was, was the one event. was the one with Joe Panic. That was the two thousand. Uh, that was after two thousand fourteen. That yeah, that was the last one. And right. judging by how the Giants are now, that that might be the last one for a for a real long time. <laughs> Speaking of well, Joe, uh, Panic, I mean, Joe, yes. is, Joe Panic is from Long Island. And there was a, a, a parent there with a young child, and the mother walked over to me. I guess she thought that I was friends with some of the players who were there or something for some reason. That was my student, Mary. 
Oh, that was your student. Well, she yes, asked me if I could if I could help her son get an autograph from Joe Panic, and I went over to him and I I explained this young boy would like your autograph, and he was so nice, so sweet, and the kid was just over the moon, and you know, forty years from now he'll be telling that story, Gary. I'm Terry, sure that it. boy you made it possible had, for him to that do that. Boy had special and, needs, and I made a bet with him. I said, if the Giants win the World Series, you are coming with me to this trophy thing. And the mother couldn't believe I was serious, and brought <laughs> brought her son that day. And if you remember, there was a snowstorm that day. I do, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we weren't even oh, sure yeah. if we were going to be able Terrible to go. Weather. It was ice right, storm yeah. or whatever. Oh, yeah. And I'll, I'll go to you, Greg. You know, I uh, I completely forgot until we mentioned Joe Panic that he got a few key hits for the Mets down the recent stretch. Joe, you know, Joe and, and that is, just feels like it's such a long time ago. Yeah, Joe Panic mm. was nearly on a very small scale the Bobby Thompson of the 2019 Mets. Uh, <laughs> the go-ahead home run in the bottom of the ace on the last day of last year, which wasn't going to send the Mets into any kind of uh, playoff or World Series, but uh, it was a uh, very uplifting moment only to have it usurped by Paul Seawald giving up uh, game-tying home run and then setting the stage later for, for Dominic Smith's uh, heroics that we have had to live off of now for about six and a half months uh, with the lack of baseball. <laughs> but, yeah, Joe, Joe Panic was uh, part of, uh, of New York National League baseball uh, literally for the last two months of last season and uh, acquitted himself nicely and eventually uh, signed with Toronto where he, like everybody else, is, uh, is is awaiting his next game. So, you know, th- that, th- those mornings with Willie Mays uh, and, uh, you know, the giant ownership and various players who they brought through the years. And, again, I'm, I'm going to these things as someone with a, you know, as you described earlier, great historical interest, but I'm, I'm not a San Francisco Giants fan. I, I wish them no ill. But uh, I, I did not, unlike Gary and everybody else, I did not line up to get my picture taken with the trophy. I, I will wait uh, till I have a trophy uh, that, that I feel more proprietary about. But, <laughs> but I'm just, uh, I, I was floored every time. And like Gary said, I just loved watching and listening to the reactions of others who went back to the 40s and 50s with the Giants. So there, there was a gentleman who had joined uh, one of the, uh, the predecessor groups of the preservation society who my wife uh, is a social worker who works with older New Yorkers and through her, one of her clients got to know me and got to know about these giants groups. And he came that, that morning and it meant the Mm -hmm. world to him to stand up and describe in great detail to Willie Mays, you know, a a (laughs) game he remembered seeing, you know, again, 60 odd years before and, you know, I could kind of see that, you know, I mean, Willie has heard everybody tell him about his career more than Willie has lived <laughs> his career. But, uh, you know. It, yeah, and they're, is, telling, uh, they're they, telling the stories like they're kids. It's, it's fabulous. Yeah. It really is. And, it is. and just so the, the opportunity to do this for, for, these, for these folks, the opportunity for me to be there and, and, and soak it all in, it is a mitzvah. And, uh, you know, at, at the heart of that uh, is, is not only all the organizing people like Gary did, but, you know, the fact that Willie Mays made people 
want to come out on cold January mornings to commune like this and uh, yes. to, mm-hmm. for a few minutes, you know, go back to being whatever age they were and to just, you know, hey, you know, to remind all of us how timeless baseball is and, and how timeless our childhood love for it is. So it's it's just amazing that, you know, to, well, it's Willie Mays' birthday and, and, and we're the ones sitting here celebrating. <laughs> Sam, I just want to say, Sam, one other thing is, you know, I hope Greg does have his day in the sun because there's nothing like it. And and really, uh, I've gotten to be friendly with Greg. There is nobody with more knowledge about the Mets than maybe Howie Rose than than Greg. Greg is just (laughs) incredible uh, repository of Mets history. I'm sorry? I said who he, who Greg has been tweeting with, by the way. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, but he's a great repository of knowledge, and really, he's a great guy. So I hope well, Greg, you had your day like we've had ours. Well, so yeah, I'm only going to throw it in the century, so I'm not, I'm not too worried. <laughs> we should have beaten the Royals just uh, like you did. You know, we go back uh, when you look backwards in time, uh, and you talk about Mays in the 1951. Series. It was only four years earlier that the color barrier got broken. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, from forty-seven to fifty-one, and, and all of a sudden, the game of baseball became very interesting. And one of the factors that I've always remembered about the Giants is that they they had done the most incredible job of scouting. Uh, the South American and Central American areas of the world and the southern part of the United States looking for black ball players. And so Mays was very much a part of that original story when he was spotted playing down in Alabama. And right. those were very and the interesting. Player that Barron, the, scout yeah. who went to, the player that the scout actually went to see was named Alonzo Perry. I always remember that Alonzo Perry, <laughs> but then he saw he saw Willie Mays playing, and he had to get his father to agree to let him sign. I think it was, and wasn't the scout um, Ed Montague's father, Ed Montague Senior, or is yes, that an apocryphal story? That is correct. Greg, always an umpire. Yeah. <laughs> Ed Montague I was one hey, of my I favorite saw a very... umpires. You know, MLB was showing uh, the 54 series today, and uh, they had a Bob Costas thing with Willie Mays. It was fabulous. It was from a few years ago. But an interesting tidbit that I did not know, there was a guy on the Indians who made the last out, who also was the last out in Don Lawson's perfect game. Dale Dale Mitchell. Mitchell. Dale Mitchell. He he made the last out in the 54 World Series. I was watching, and they said Dale Mitchell. I, I doubt there's another one. Uh, Jerry, and would then, you know and you Dale Mitchell was, was also on the uh, on the Indians? Jerry, do you know that? What's that? I, I said, I don't know. I, I assume it's the same Dale Mitchell who struck guy. out against uh, Don Larson and uh, made the last out in the uh, 50. Well, I can World Series. I'll, I'll have to look that up, but I don't think it's. I think it's the same guy. Same it guy. is the same guy. He played left field for the Indians. Wow, how about that? 
Yep, there so you he's go. Tied, he's tied in. He's tied in. I never heard I, that. That's a great trivia question that I never heard anybody ask. So now you could use it. And he got traded. He got traded in 1956. His last year. He was uh, his age 34 year. He had 292 uh, in only 24 plate appearances for the uh, 1956 Dodgers. Obviously, right. a World yeah. Series, but in terms of the regular season. <laughs> yeah, so he has a tie in to, 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 to New York baseball. <laughs> Wow. That's right. Yeah, he actually he played a, a way longer in Cleveland than he did in – yeah, he played his entire career in Cleveland except for those last few weeks. That's pretty as, amazing. As an all-star, too. <laughs> as an all-star. Yeah, he, uh, he, and popped up to, uh, he popped up to Hank Thompson at third, and the Giants swept four games to none, and then he, of course, was a strikeout to end the uh, the Larson perfect game. Yeah. Now, he had a batting average higher in 48. Say it again. Remember, poor Hank Thompson wound up in jail. Yeah. Yeah. What somebody. a story. Yeah. Terrible. You know who else was yeah, very instrumental with the Giants organization uh, in finding black ball players was Alex Pompez. He played mm. a very right. major they role in the Willie Mays story that people don't even know too much about, unless, of course, they've read the books about Pompez. And he is uh, he well, uh, he was elected to, he's elected to the Hall of Fame. Yes, as a scout. There, there's a uh, there's a uh, biography of Willie Mays that I have yet to read, and, and um, uh, Gary, you might be able to tell me what the writer's name is because I just have just such so many stacks of books, but I, I believe it was from a Bergino baseball clubhouse event, um, and uh, it's a pretty big James, book. I just haven't been able to read James, it yet. James Hirsch, I believe. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and also, so I look forward to, to getting to it. Well, if you're interested, there's supposed to be a superb new book that was supposed to be released yesterday um, by John Shea, who's you know a reporter in San Francisco. Definitive biography with all new pictures, and um, it's on our Facebook page. Um, Great. Uh, but it's 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 available to be ordered from Amazon. It's brand spanking new. I was hoping he would come to speak to our group, but, uh, you know, the Giants aren't coming to town if we have any kind of baseball at all. So, Well, hopefully uh, next year in 2021, as they say, uh, <laughs> next year in Jerusalem, as my people say, next year at City Field, as, as uh, the Giants would say. Um, I, I think that uh, you know, we're we're getting close to uh, three o'clock. We're getting close to the hour, and the fanfare here uh, is so remarkable. And I, I think that that it, it's just a testament to both Willie Mays as well as the New York Giants franchise and 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 the franchise that continues on in San Francisco. Uh, um, so before we go, I I, I want to thank everybody, and and I want to thank everybody individually. And so I I'm going to uh, gather you guys together each for your last word. And I'm going to start first with, with, uh, Jerry, uh, uh, Jerry, thank you so much for calling us. And, and again, um, I've taken your phone number down. If you don't mind, I'd like to call and, and talk about having you on to uh, a little bit more to talk about your, your, uh, baseball and New York background. Anytime I'm always available. And I certainly enjoy talking to you guys. Of course, Gary, I'm in touch with constantly Perry. I haven't spoken to in a while, but uh, glad to touch base with you again. 
Always a delight, Jerry. Sam, I might let me just interject this about Jerry. He's got the biggest collection of New York Giant memorabilia and, and just unbelievable things that they could open up Excellent. a little section in the Hall of Fame. That's how big his collection <laughs> and how wonderful his collection is. Well, yeah, and we're going to sell that collection. Yeah, <laughs> but that would be a great topic here. when you talk to Jerry, Sam, to bring up his collection. For sure. He'll, he'll describe everything. Yeah, Jerry and, and another friend of Gary's out here, Steve Rothschild, has uh, right. probably e- either equal or second best collection of Giants. Memorabilia. Absolutely. Steve has mm-hmm. a lot of San Francisco. Jerry has a lot more New York, depending on what right. you're, you're, you're looking for. Uh, but if I remember correctly, okay. to go off on a tangent, if I remember correctly, Steve is from Washington Heights, is that correct? Yeah, he has a whole garage, okay. I mean, just yeah, of, of, of the material. It's, it's crazy. And speaking yeah. speaking of somebody I haven't talked Great. to in a long time, Perry, Perry Barber, thank you so much for calling in today. I, it, it's been years, I think, since the last time we talked to, to you, and uh, we'd love to have you on again sometime. Thank you so much, Sam. Yeah, well, I follow you, and I, I, um, we, I wish we – I've been in New York very seldom the last several years, and I wish uh, that I hadn't missed – so many meetings at Burgino's and others that Gary has put together because they're always a lot of fun. So I'm just so happy that you hosted this show paying tribute to Willie Mays today because it's a very special day for all of us and it helps to make it special for everybody else too. And I just love listening to all the stories and hearing all of you just, you know, go back to when you were kids because I was doing the same thing. And so today we're, we're all young again. So thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Perry. Thank you so much. And um, to the Mets fan incarnate, as I like to call him, Greg Prince, thank you for joining us today to celebrate Willie Mays. Delighted to be here with such a uh, truly uh, distinguished group and uh, all I can add is uh, the, the only thing you can say in Willie Mace's birthday is, hey, say hey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and say hey to Gary Mintz, the head of the New York Giants Preservation Society. Thank you for keeping the memory alive, Gary. It's my pleasure. Uh, I know a lot of people get a lot of gratitude. It's a, it's a lot of work. Um, I am retiring, so perhaps I could spend more time, um, you know, Delving into congratulations this thing. Um, to you, by the way. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. Wow. It's been a long, After how yeah. long? Uh, how I've long been teaching, been teaching 20, here? 26 years. So. Wow. Um, Thank you. God bless but, you. But uh, a couple. <laughs> Sam uh, Jay from uh, you know Jay Goldberg sends his regards as always. Mm-hmm. Wish he could have been here. And Perry, yeah, I know you don't I love. love Jay. I, I, Perry, I know you don't like to hear this, but in advance. You and I are very close as far as birthdays. I wish you a happy birthday. Be healthy, okay? You too, everybody. Stay healthy. Happy birthday, Perry. Thanks again, Sam. Happy birthday yes, to everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is coming up. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> and, well, 
We wish you a happy birthday, and we wish all of you out there a happy birthday, including Willie Mays. I hope he is celebrating with his friends and family as we speak right now and having a wonderful day uh, in a socially distanced manner, of course. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. We will catch you next time. Take care. Bye Thanks. now. Thanks, everybody. Bye, Gary. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye, Gary. Bye, Greg. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye.